Hey, Dylan Kelly here, host of the Wave Break Podcast. Excited to get into this episode, but first, here's a quick word from our sponsor. If you're looking to grow your business, there's only one way, and that is by building real quality customer relationships. Most marketing software will claim they do this, but they never deliver on their promises, and you need to demand more from your marketing software. And that's where Klaviyo comes in. Klaviyo helps you build meaningful customer relationships by listening and understanding cues from your customers, allowing you to easily turn that information into valuable marketing messages. And that's why 10,000 innovative brands, including all of our clients at Wavebreak, have switched to Klaviyo. Now, What's the secret to building those customer relationships? Tune in to Clavio's Beyond Black Friday docu-series to find out and unlock exact marketing strategies you can use to keep momentum going all year round. Just head over to clavio.com slash beyondbf for more. Link is going to be down in the show notes below. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Weight Break Podcast. Thank you so much for making this a top five Shopify podcast. Excited to bring you another, I'm going to call this a top 10 interview. All of these interviews we do at the Weight Break Podcast, top 10 interview. And that's the type of fire I want to bring. Listen, if you're new here, I'm Dylan Kelly, founder and CEO at Weight Break. I build and grow companies. And specifically, the number that I chase with me and with my clients is $100 million. And one of the ways to get there, once you pass three to five million in annual revenue, you need email. You need to start focusing on profit and you need to start focusing on the back end, especially as ad costs continue to rise. That's going to give you profit that you need to scale and you know that you're not doing enough with email. I know you listen to me give this spiel every time and you know you're like, oh, I should reach out. Listen, it's not going to be a lot of work to hire us. That's exactly why we exist because of busy entrepreneurs like yourself. And at Waybreak, we help e-commerce stores stop leaking revenue with our fully managed email marketing service. We'll come in, we'll be your email team, and we're going to maximize your email revenue, get that profit back in your business so you can go back on the front end and just scale like crazy. From there, get to that 20, 30, 40, 50 million mark and then from there your brand kicks in and your ads start to get cheaper and all this crazy stuff starts to happen that's how you sell your company for a hundred million dollars right it's simple it's not this crazy tactic and this crazy strategy it's like actually a simple framework and if you want to walk through that framework schedule a call with us uh schedule a call with me personally dylan kelly founder ceo of waybreak host of this podcast i love talking with you guys if you run a seven or eight figure store like you need email and i can show you the exact framework that i'm talking about uh walk you through it i have this cool flow chart if you want the flow chart schedule a call we'll go over it map it up to your business uh, you can schedule a call at waybreak.co slash call. Looking forward to hearing from you. Today, we've got an amazing interview for you. I'm super stoked for this one. We're talking with Danny Tang. He is the founder and CEO of a company called Boxu. Boxu.com. We're going to link it up down in the show notes below as usual. Uh, but he has grown his business from zero to five million a year uh, in the last less than four years. I think that was three years. Yeah, in this third year in business, they did over or nearly five million dollars in revenue. This year, he has the sites to double and get close to eight or nine million. And he's walking through like he was extremely transparent, sharing the split of his company and and all the different numbers they're doing, their marketing strategies that they're doing now, what they're doing to combat rising ad costs. A lot of really interesting strategies. I'm not going to give it away now. Um, and then he talked 
talked about his vision of building a hundred million dollar company. And, um, you know, I think that's really important. And we also talked about how to sustain yourself as an entrepreneur. So this one is a must listen. I'm super excited to dive into it. You're going to love it. Um, one of my favorite interviews I've done this year. Let's hop into it right now. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Danny. Thank you, Dylan, for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I'm super excited uh, to get into this one. But before we before we jump in, can you tell us, just give us a little background on your company, like what you guys sell, just a high-level overview so listeners have some context? Sure. Uh, so at kind of a high level, Boxu is the world's first e-commerce and media platform for Japanese snack food discovery. Um, it sounds really fancy, but basically we you know, try and connect people all around the world with these like 100-plus-year-old family generational snack makers in Japan. And we allow them and help them discover via our monthly subscription box that we curate around kind of cultural, seasonal themes. And we also have an e-commerce shop where we sell over, at this point, over 150 SKUs permanently stocked of some of our most popular items. All, everything is sourced directly from Japan, packed there, and shipped to over 70 countries around the world. That's awesome. Now, tell me something really interesting that that you said is like, okay, we're direct consumer e-commerce and media platform. What what what's the media platform for Japanese snack food discovery? Yeah, it's a great question. So that's been an evolution over time for sure. I mean, I started the company about four years ago now, totally bootstrapped, packing boxes in my living room. And back then, it was like one box, one size. Nowadays, we've certainly added a lot more content into the whole mix. We publish a 20-plus page, what we call Culture Guide magazine every single month that goes in the box. It details each product's origins, kind of interviews with the makers, kind of where in Japan it's from. We're about to launch a lot of big content initiatives this year. Uh, for example, next month in March, we're going to be launching a five-episode web docu-series um, where I went to Japan a few months ago and with the documentary film crew interviewing five of our snack makers throughout the country to kind of get their story, their families, showing them making the products. I'm going to be distributing that online. That's awesome. I'm excited to unpack that and dive in more into that. <laughs> but um, first things first, to introduce yourself. Like, what's your story? I mean, this is a super, you know, niche business. You bootstrapped it. How did you find your way into this space and running this company? Yeah. So um, my brief background is that I was born in New York and then raised in New Jersey. I went to Stanford and studied psychology and Japanese. After I graduated, I got a job at Google working in AdWords, digital marketing in the Bay Area. However, it had always been a big dream of mine to go live in Tokyo. So I ended up quitting my job after a year, moving to Japan and living there for four years in the end. I uh, ended up working at a Japanese tech company called Rakuten, um, which is like the Amazon of Japan, and got to travel throughout the country, learned that each area had their own amazing specialty foods and snacks and souvenirs, um, and then also got fluent in Japanese along the way. When I moved back to New York six years ago, kind of like one thing led to another and I stumbled into entrepreneurship and as I mentioned a little bit before, um, started my company Boxu as an idea, as this dream where I was uh, kind of packing boxes in my living room with snacks I brought back in my suitcase from Japan and um, put up a Shopify site, kind of got some initial kind of results from friends and beta testers, launched and really organically grew it. It's kind of where a lot of the, the base of this came from. That's awesome. It's, it sounds delicious. By the way, I'm like <laughs> I'm like distract, distracted scrolling through your website now, just looking at all these random just like goodies. <laughs> but that's awesome. Before we get into exactly how you did that, can you share any context around like the size of the business now and what you were able to grow to? Yeah. So when I launched in May 2016, I like officially launched those. I had 40 subscribers. 
uh, most of which were friends supporting me. And by the end of that year, I did about 40K in revenue in that half year. Super excited about it. We had surpassed 100 subscribers as well. It's like, oh, heck yes. Um, flash forward to three, four years later, um, this past year, we surpassed 15,000 subscribers and did almost 5 million in revenue. Um, and so it's been a really exciting kind of growth, especially because we're still mostly bootstrapped. I did do a bit of fundraising um, early last year. I can get into that later. But for the most part, we've been very efficient about the way we've used our capital and kind of funded the company to grow to where we are today. That's awesome. And that's super fast growth, too. I love talking with people like you on the podcast. I have to ask, like, I will... I mean, part of this, what does the logistics of this business look like, especially when you're going from zero to five million in four years? Like what, because this is stuff like, like how scalable is the distribution side of things? Like, are you going into shops? I mean, obviously you started out doing this all yourself, but like, what does that end look like? Yeah, so um, it certainly has been an evolution over time, the supply chain, the distribution, the logistics. Uh, it used to be much, much smaller scale where I was, as I mentioned, in the very beginning was me actually literally bringing snacks back in my suitcases. And then eventually I was able to get some friends in Tokyo to receive the shipments for me in Japan and then like freight forward it to me by repacking it. It was like really scrappy stuff. They've been how we can source these really Japan exclusive products that you can't get outside of Japan. Nowadays, we have this global supply chain that's much more robust and scalable where all the products are sourced directly from these like uh, 100 plus euro family businesses, shipped to our fulfillment center in Japan, in Osaka specifically. And from there, it's packed into our kind of beautifully designed bright orange boxes and then shipped worldwide direct to consumer from Japan. So that's allowed us to really scale because then we're not doing this thing where we're double shipping to America or we're not packing the boxes ourselves anymore, uh, which became untenable after 500 subscribers. We were kind of going crazy packing boxes right. ourselves. We became more of a fulfillment company than a brand company at that point. I so bet. we had to kind of flip that switch. Yeah, Especially as you're growing so fast. I mean, I can only imagine right. like what your head must feel like over the last four years thinking about, I mean, just like solving that problem must have created a ton of ton more headspace for you. Um, yeah, I mean, but what we've definitely learned over the years, though, is that every time we solve a new challenge, we scale to another level, new 100 new challenges pop up. So right. it's just a never ending type of like challenging um, business all around, I have to say. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm curious, what is what is shipping times like when you're shipping from Japan? That's um, something that we're continually working on as well. Uh, it used to be that from order to receiving, customers would sometimes take a month, um, partially because like we had to kind of take some time to get the order processed and then shipped out. And then we were using a kind of like the most affordable shipping option that was like not trackable. And so sometimes it would take a month or so and we got some customer feedback about that. So nowadays we've really optimized it to take generally speaking two to three weeks max from order date. So when a customer places an order, it flows right into our Shopify, right into our fulfillment center. Within two or three days, it ships out. And from there, another week or two generally arrive because we're at our own cost. We've now offered like a more premium shipping service that's trackable um, just to improve the whole experience for our customers. We're a very customer first type of experiential company. That's awesome. What um, what are, are the majority of your customers in the United States or, or where are your customers at? Yeah, the U.S. is still our single largest market um, with about 60% of our customers here. However, um, the rest of the world, uh, now is 40% as mentioned, that's grown year over year. When I first started, we were U.S. only. 
So there was like 100%. And then the year after that, we slowly opened to Canada and such. And they became like, US was like 95% or something. But now it's, um, our largest markets are US, Canada, Australia, UK. So it's like kind of the, a lot of English speaking countries. But then we also have like India, Singapore, Germany, um, where we've seen a lot of uh, kind of expansion. And what I'll say is something that you mentioned a little earlier to get back to it is that although Boxu kind of seems niche when people look at it at first, um, Japanese culture is actually booming worldwide. Japanese language learners, anime consumers, restaurants, it's all over the world. People are getting to want to get to know Japanese culture through food. Yeah, that's that's awesome. What's the um, and, and thanks for laying out that split between where your customers are. I'm always curious. Um, what's speaking of splits, like what's the split in your revenue between like subscriptions and then the one time stuff that you guys are doing? Yeah, that's also been a, a kind of intentional effort that we've been putting into things to try and diversify. Where when I first launched uh, three and a half years ago, we were a sub box only, so that was like 100 percent. Nowadays, we're seeing that our market is um, going up to 15% or more of our revenue, and that's been increasing over time. And we're really looking to expand that piece of the business because um, a variety of reasons, right, where customers discover something they love, they want more of it, they could only get it through us, so then the market exists. We also sometimes have customers now that don't necessarily want to be put into a subscription, but then they'll just buy regularly from our marketplace, and so we're really looking to get that up to like 20%, 25% every year, kind of inching that up to have um, more expansion there. Yeah, that's awesome. And yeah, I've seen a lot of subscription companies successfully do that as well. Um, actually, I'll, uh, after the after we wrap up here, I'll shoot you some other subscription interviews that I've done with some other companies that are similar size or, or a little beyond. So I'll shoot those over afterwards. But um, yeah, that's awesome. And I want to dive into the marketing side now. So, okay, so zero to five million a year, you know, in a short time. What does that look like? How did you do that? You have a marketing background, but like, how did that play into things? Like, what channels are you using to do that? Like, what did it look like in the beginning? And then where, where are you now? Yeah, so um, in the beginning, especially because for the first three years of the business, we were almost entirely bootstrapped. There was um, some channels we focus on and could use and others that were just not feasible for us i'll say as a high level so in the very beginning the growth was pretty organic like to get from zero to 100 even 100 to a thousand um in terms of subscriber count uh like facebook ads and google ads were kind of out of reach in terms of price uh like you generally have to invest a good amount of money into that for the algorithm to kind of optimize so unless you're spending tens of thousands of dollars a month on that it's just not worth it so in the very beginning um i was focused on kind of I would say, broadly speaking, two aspects of the business. One was just creating the most superior product in the space possible. And two was using as many scrappy marketing methods as possible. And so number one was about continually reiterating on it, surveying the customers, seeing what they wanted, kind of improving on it, and also differentiating from any existing kind of snack boxes or Japanese snack boxes in the space. And we kind of took years. And I now proudly can say, honestly, we have the best product in the market it has the, the best tasting products, the most cultural relevance, the most authentic and respectful, and the best shipping times and fulfillment. And the whole design of the box is gorgeous as well. Um, in terms of the marketing, to get to the beginning of scrappiness, we didn't even touch paid ads until I think year two or three. Um, so in the beginning, it was like word of mouth, referral programs, inf- like kind of um, more micro-influencers, affiliates, blog review sites, uh, kind of things like that that had a very measurable 
um, kind of cheaper CAC that allowed us to kind of grow in the, in the beginning. Nice. That's awesome. And that's one thing that I notice immediately uh, about your brand. Like you talk about like how you have the best packaging and the best kind of like branding is like you have a really strong brand. Did you guys start with a strong brand or is that something that as the company has evolved, you really invest in money in? Because I mean, the site looks awesome. The branding looks awesome. What's your like mindset uh, around branding? Yeah, I mean, branding is something that I kept in mind from the very beginning. Uh, it's definitely something that has also improved, expanded over time, because in the beginning, I had a limited amount of budget and, and, and resources I can invest into it. But from the start, for example, the, the name of the company, the, the color palette, the, the, the logo was all very um, focused on and something I went through many rounds of iteration with. I, I have a background in, in marketing and Japanese language and business and in um, software development because I studied that for a bit as well. But I had no background in design. That's like one of my weakest points. Um, so I, I found a, uh, a freelance designer in the beginning to help me with that. And we went through many rounds of iteration. He, he's now actually my creative director of my company. So it, I ended up poaching him from his agency a few years later, which was amazing. That's a whole other story. Anyway, so, I love that. That's awesome. <laughs> but um, yeah, so that, that was something very intentional where I wanted a, a brand name, a logo that was not only kind of cool and hip and short and kind of usable for a noun or a verb, but also could be expanded. So um, Boxu, the name of the company and the product is uh, the Japanese word for box, um, as it kind of sounds like Boksu. It's the English imported loan word. And I wanted a name like that that could be um, used to not only represent the company, but also it's a metaphorical literal box that can have anything in there. We're starting with snacks and there's a tea pairing, but there's a lot of potential to expand to like savory foods or a tea box or other things in the future. Or also just be a metaphorical box that connects you with this culture of something you unpack every month. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. And, you know, I think that's a great mindset to have. I mean, we're starting to see that more and more like brand just becomes so important. Like, especially mm -hmm. after that whole like drop shipping kind of phase that we've been going through these last few years, I was like, customers, like, I mean, they're smart, right? They catch on, right? They know drop shipping is a thing now. And like, you know, even, even some of our legit clients and brands that I talk to, it's like, they get like, you know, just customers are a little timid, like, oh, where's this coming from? Or like, who am I buying from? Because they realize now that any, you know, 15, 16 year old kid in his bedroom gets set up one of these companies. And yeah, I think, I mean, branding, I, I've always talked about this, but branding, 100%. I mean, one of the best investments you make in your business. And what's cool to see with your business, too, is like, not only is it solid, but like, I mean, you look at any brand that's just successful in e-commerce, uh, you know, selling for 100 million or whatever that number is, like, they all have a solid brand. And once you hit that certain point where you start to get that brand recognition, whether it's just, you know, a little bit in your own space, but then it just like flips the switch on ads. Like you think about like the type of stuff Nike can do on advertising. Like I always think like if I ever had to take like a Facebook ads job, I'd just go to the biggest company I can. And then just because you can just probably throw anything up and, uh, <laughs> and get results because everybody knows you. You don't have to overcome the hump. Right. Um, right. No, for sure. But yeah, that's awesome. Let's take a quick break to talk about screwing up. Listen, accidents happen. Maybe you installed an app in your Shopify store and it messed up your theme or a CSV import wrecked your product catalog. And there's this common myth that when things go wrong, Shopify can just help you and they have this magic undo button that they can apply to your account and fix everything. 
But that's not true. Shopify can't do that. So what do you do? Well, you need to use Rewind to protect your store with automatic backups. It's like having your very own magic undo button. And best of all, if you sign up at Rewind.io and respond to any of their welcome emails, because they're a sponsor of the podcast, all you got to do is mention the Waybreak podcast and they'll get you your first month for free. So go check Rewind out at Rewind.io. Anyway, I want to uh, I want to get back into the the high level marketing stuff. So, what's your what's your marketing setup look like now? So, you weren't doing paid in the beginning. You were doing a lot of organic and just like guerrilla stuff, hustling. Uh, do you still do that, or are you mostly leaning into advertising and stuff like that now? Uh, yes, yeah, so I would say in the first couple of years, as I mentioned, we did a lot of the guerrilla marketing tactics, as you put it. But then to really kind of scale it from the thousand to ten thousand was when paid ads came into it really strongly. Um, and that just allowed us to scale in a much bigger way because a lot of the guerrilla tactics required a lot of handholding and, and like time and investment where we had to like individually contact each affiliate or influencer. And it just becomes really difficult after a while when time becomes a very limited resource. And so for pretty much all like the year three and four, it has been heavy into paid ads and really optimizing to get us that scale. Um, having said that, um, as I think a lot of Merchants are feeling around the world right now. Um, Facebook ads are getting quite pricey. CACs are rising. Um, it's still going to be one of the main channels for discovery, but uh, we have started refocusing on other channels. Affiliates have re- re-come in as a really strong channel for us. And so I would say the mix right now is uh, the potentially majority, maybe like 60% or so, um, is still kind of paid social and paid search, et cetera. But then we're really starting to invest into um, affiliates and influencers as other ways for us to scale bigger. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's so funny you mentioned that because it's like that is a, something huge right now. Ad costs just keep going up and up and up. And if you're not diversifying, I was telling you before our call, like the, the, the brand I was working with a few years ago, where it's like they felt the impact of that and their business just turned upside down for a while. It's just like a smart move to diversify and to do that. What are you guys doing? Like what's your affiliate strategy look like? Are you going after blogs? Are you going after YouTubers? Or what does that affiliate program look like? Yeah. So, I mean, for a long time, we had like a self-managed affiliate program where we were like, just had it. And if somebody reached out to us or we reached out to someone, we would add them and it, it was relatively passive. But fortunately, nowadays, we found a pretty amazing affiliate agency that um, has been taking it, taking the reins and being active about it. And they will actively reach out to affiliate potential partners and have they've gotten us written up in, in Eater and Harper's Bazaar and like we're potentially doing some BuzzFeed soon. So it's That's been awesome. fairly amazing to see this type of return. I mean, it's all on a CPA basis. So we're happy to kind of work with these partners because... I mean, they don't make money unless we make money. So we're all kind of incentivized in the right way together. And so it's been kind of a really great strategy increase. I mean, having said that, it's still only maybe like less than 5% of our kind of marketing budget per month, although we're really looking to grow that. It just kind of takes time to establish those relationships. Yeah, for sure. And it's just like any channel, like in the beginning, you, you, you kind of have to ramp into it. You go too fast. It just doesn't scale. It's like, you know, scaling your Facebook ad. It's not as easy as just doubling your ad spend and then you just double your business. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I know you got to incrementally do that. If you just make two big sweeping changes, Facebook just punishes you with like re-optimizing its algorithm and it's just really painful. 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And the same goes for all other marketing, because otherwise I see entrepreneurs mm-hmm. so many times, you know, we have so many great ideas, or at least we all think we definitely have <laughs> a lot of ideas, but we'll, we'll have these ideas and it's like, okay, we'll try it. Like, let's try affiliate. And you try it for like a week. Maybe if you have a little bit more patience, you try it for a month. Um, really, you got to commit to stuff to see results. And then from there, you can kind of scale and ramp. But, um, you know, it sounds like you're, you're heading in the right direction. I want to shift into, okay, so in the beginning, I've been um, I've been holding off the whole time to ask, but I, I I have to know now. So you're launching some more content. I'm I'm so curious about that. So like, tell us about that. What type of content are you launching, and what's the reason behind that? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, certainly I, I will just be upfront and say that this is um, an investment and a bit of a gamble of sorts. But I think that when we come to entrepreneurship and kind of starting your own business, you got to take risks. You got to see what's going to work. You one can't operate the way everybody else is, and the kind of the way they're doing things. You got to stay relevant, right? And I'm, I'm prefacing this to say that one of the reasons we're doing content is I, I quite look up to FabFitFun and what the kind of their strategy, the way that they're a very content-first company, and um, the their members when they subscribe, they not only get this quarterly box of women's lifestyle products, but they also get access to these like kind of digital membership content stuff that they offer. In their case, it's that the um, subscribers get access to streaming yoga classes and cooking classes and meditation and whatnot. And then so you kind of almost get this value stacking situation going on. In our case, we're going to be kind of trying to do something kind of similar, but in a true kind of authentic Japanese form. People will be getting their monthly subscription box of authentic Japanese snacks and tea pairings every month. And so they're super happy about that. But for that same price, we're also going to start offering them like Japanese language learning podcast or kind of recipe style videos with some of the ingredients in the box or maybe, um, you know, taste test videos and this documentary project I talked about kind of ac- exclusive access to content for them to get to know Japanese culture better um, in this more scalable way with uh, media as a platform. That's awesome. I love that. I think that's so cool. And I mean, you think about the way things are headed and how much people are consuming you sneak in as the creator of the content and next thing you know, it's just like, it's game over. And it's like hidden, yeah. hidden sales letters too. And just, and you know, the stuff on the retention side as well. It's like, right. So I mean, kind stuff. of what we're seeing this, what I'm using this for is both as an acquisition tool and a retention tool where hopefully by having this content, people will then be more likely to subscribe because then they know they're getting a ticket to other things in addition to the box, but also that it would make it tougher for people to unsubscribe because then there's, this fresh content coming out every month that they would like to keep having access to that they can only have access as long as they remember. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, now the media side all makes sense. And obviously the wave is, isn't really, you know, it's not like a wave in the sense that it's going to go away, but like, I mean, Disney plus and like all these streaming platforms, they're just adding to it. And I, I think that's really neat how you're going to sneak in there too. Um, and definitely, definitely worth a test. I'm excited to, um, to see how that plays out for you. I'll have to have you on the podcast next year and we can talk more about it then. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, we're, we're seeing that the more and more we've the longer I've been doing this. I mean, you talked about branding before, but what people are really looking for when they are buying from an independent brand, I mean, if they want some type of like commodity or a simple product, they just go to Amazon. Right. But when, if they're going to a DTC brand, they're looking for community. They're looking for kind of this like sense of authenticity and belonging. And they're looking for fresh content something that's different, something that can add to their life in a positive way. And so we're really trying to give them that whole experience as Boxu. Yeah, that's awesome. Speaking of like higher level Boxu, 
what are like as we start to wrap up here like what are your goals with the company do you eventually want to sell it are you chasing 10 million now are you chasing 100 million like what is the next you know one year and the next five and ten years look like for you and Baksu? yeah i mean we're i'm looking to continue to scale the business as long as it's sustainable i mean that's kind of a big facet for us is that we want to grow but not at all costs i think that's uh something that is that we've had in mind from the beginning by the same time I think is a reckoning that's coming into the DTC space recently where people are, investors are realizing, people are realizing in general that growth at all costs may not be the best long-term solution for a company. Um, Cause a lot of times it's a very much like a go big or go home situation where you grow, 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 hoping you get acquired or something like that. And if it doesn't work out, you're unable to switch to profitability and that's just not going to work out for, for a lot of companies nowadays. In our case, we want to keep growing, but in a way that, we know we're having a real business with real positive, strong LTV to CAC. And, um, you know, like I, one of the reasons I bring this up is that I love what I do. Like I've worked at Google, I've worked at Rockstar, these kind of bigger companies. I've never enjoyed waking up and working this much in my life before. So I'm totally happy to keep running my business for as long as it kind of, you know, keeps growing and stays exciting. However, we do have also plans to reach a hundred million dollar valuation in three to five years. So, you know, like if that, Oh, you know, if and when that happens and then there's a good acquisition, we're having, happy to entertain that as well. Yeah, for sure. But I think that's one of the most important things you can do, like no matter what, like because I, I love my business, too. But at the end of the day, it's like I, I forget if I even mentioned this on the podcast before, but like uh, at the beginning of this year, like after Christmas and stuff, I just kind of got stuck in a rut. And I was just like, man, like, you know, kind of coast mode, like, you know, things are, you know, things are good. Like, what do I do? But then like when I really started, you know, getting clear on what I actually wanted to do. Like, just like, well, number one, it's like actually having a vision. Like, otherwise you're just stagnant. You don't know what you're working towards. And like, it's so much harder to wake up in the morning. So like, even though you love what you do, it's like, you love it even more knowing that you're working towards something. It's something clear, like the hundred million dollar valuation, which I love that number, like hundred million. Like, I think that's great. And so right. many people in e-commerce have shown that it's like so doable. I mean, look at movement watches, tough and needle, uh, you know, bootstrapping too. Like, that's what I love about the space. And like people like you are my favorite to interview on the podcast. Cause it's like you bootstrap, you might take a little money here and there, right? Like a lot of people have, mm-hmm. um, right. But it's still like you can still build a great business. You don't have to be the Casper that's going to IPO at uh, you know right, negative right. one hundred million a year or whatever, <laughs> whatever right. the number ends up being. But um, but that's that's awesome. What's your goal for this year? Our goal for this year is to do at least eight million in revenue to kind of get to because we, as I mentioned, we were in the kind of like almost five, but in the four point something range. So get close to doubling, um, and that's like a revenue goal. But in terms of the business, we're looking to launch our next product expansion for the first time in, in years, which is going to be T-Boxu. It's going to be an exclusively all-tea subscription box curated around the seasons on a quarterly basis. Um, that is that's something that's been highly demanded for a while. We're also going to be launching our media platform that I talked about. We're like building up that content month over month, hopefully having that launch sometime in Q2 or three, um, and really looking to expand the market. And there's a lot of big initiatives in the pipeline. That's awesome. I love it. Now I, now I can see why you're so excited to wake up every day and get to work. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Super stressful though. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I know. It, isn't it funny how that works? And it's like every day is different. Like you wake up yesterday and you're like, oh yeah, this is great. Like I'm cranking. You wake up the next day. It's like, you know, it'd be so cool. Like if I was just a, a farmer or something. Yeah. Simple. <laughs> I like, totally feel you. Yeah. I have those. It is 
I mean, that's one of the things I like to say when I'm on panels or in podcasts is that, you know, it's not entirely a rosy picture. I mean, the startup life slash entrepreneurship, yeah. there are high highs and there are low lows. Even uh-huh. if things are going well, stuff yes. just comes up that you're just like, what the F? Like, uh-huh. how, how, did, like how did this not come up before? And now it's like impacting business. And it's, it's always kind of a constant struggle. And the most important thing is, though, is to be able to endure that and get back up again um, to not get knocked down too long and too hard. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's so funny to say that too, just because it's like, I, yeah, nobody talks about that. Like the podcast right. is like the fun part where you come on the podcast and it's like the high note and you talk about everything right. in the past, like, you know, some painful months, painful years get summarized into yeah. a sentence of, yeah, we grew to right. zero to 5 million a year. And it's like, wow, <laughs> that's amazing. But what you don't see is like, you know, that one week, that one day, that, that one whole year, whatever it was where you're just like, ah, oh, man, like. Uh, I, I don't know, like back when I was kind of going through it, um, you know, not that I don't go through it. Cause like you said, it's like always, always hard. I remember like there's construction happening in my street and I was looking at those guys just like drinking their coffee and like pounding things with a hammer. I'm like, oh, that just looks so like, so nice and relaxing. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I totally feel you. <laughs> yeah. But then deep I down. Mean, that job is really tough too. But like, Oh yeah, you know, for sure. In a different way. I know I would get tired of it after a day, actually probably after an hour. I assemble something from Ikea and I'm like, okay, I never want to do that again. <laughs> that's my fix, I guess. Maybe that's what I need to do. Just build something from Ikea for somebody once a week. But no, I, I'm so glad you brought that up just because I think so many people, you know, don't know. Like there's people listening to this podcast right now going through it. And it's like, I mean, what's, what are your options? Like you can either keep going and, and get to the, the light at the end of the tunnel, get to the other side, or you just give up and whatever else you decide to do, it's going to be just as hard and take just as much effort. So you might as well just, you know, keep doing, right. keep doing the thing. Doing the thing, but you gotta, you still gotta take some time to, I mean, it sounds kind of cheesy, but the whole like self-care thing is totally oh, yeah. important. I think in the entrepreneurship space where for me, it's, um, it's rock climbing, bouldering. Like I, I always take three times a week at least to go to bouldering at a gym and just disconnect, leave my phone in the locker and, focus on other things besides work to clear my mind. I think that's pretty important and um, needs to be done by everybody. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I guarantee you like majority of people listening to this podcast, when is the last time you took a vacation? They're listening and they're being like, never. Cause like, let's be real. You can't take Thanksgiving off. You can't take Christmas off. You got stuff going on cause it's e-commerce. Um, but yeah, this summer guys, get outside. Yeah, I mean, live I, life. <laughs> I, I totally agree. I, I can't even take a vacation. Even when I'm somewhere else, I generally have to work remotely. But instead of like a full week of vacation, which I think is impossible for entrepreneurs, like just taking hours a day or a right. day here and there to kind of focus on other aspects and realize that there's a life outside of work is helps keep things balanced and in perspective for sure. A hundred percent. And I, I think the biggest hack for me has been like the three day weekend or even just like the the Friday afternoon into a weekend where you just put the phone away, put the laptop away. And that's when, for me, I get all my magic ideas. Like, it's never when I'm sitting in front of my computer working that I'm like, oh, here's a great idea, right? It's brushing your Mm -hmm. teeth, it's in the shower, it's, you know, bouldering or whatever you're doing. Um, I was boxing for a while, so I'd be getting punched in the face and like, oh, wow, that's a random idea I just had. okay just kidding maybe i don't get good ideas getting punched in the face but um but no i totally agree with you i love the rock climbing thing too just because it seems really like peaceful and you got to be focused so you can't think about Mm -hmm. anything in the back of your mind and there's a clear start there's a clear goal there's a clear finish 
which is just something right. that doesn't exist in entrepreneurial world sometimes. So it's nice to just have like simple, clear, it's very meditative sometimes to be able to just achieve a goal like that. Yeah. That's a great point because like mm-hmm. everybody listening to the show where they are now, looking back just maybe even a few months ago, they wish they were here, <laughs> but now there's the next goal. Um, mm-hmm. So you do. Yeah. That's, I, I love how you integrate that into your your, your your daily life. That's awesome. Well, hey, we're, we're starting to run out of time here. Really appreciate you, you know, walking us through your entire business from the marketing strategy to how you started it, um, you know, the new content stuff and affiliate stuff that you guys are doing, as well as, you know, the whole work-life balance stuff that we got into at the end that's definitely not talked about enough. For, for people who want to learn more about you and check out what you guys are doing and, you know, get in on the subscription box so they can check out your content, uh, as it gets released, where can they go to learn more about you? Um, I mean, they can, the best place is honestly go to boxu.com, B-O-K-K-S-U. I mean, on that site, we not only have, of course, um, descriptions of our product and how to subscribe, but we're going to be launching, as I mentioned, the documentary project real soon. It's going to be this like maker's hub that exists there. Talks about our purpose, talks about why we do what we do and why we're passionate about it. So that's definitely a place to go and learn more about Boxu and me. That's awesome. So we'll link that up down in the show notes below. Everybody, go check it out. Uh, beautiful website, beautiful branding. Lots to learn from it. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Danny. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. Thank you, Dylan. Now, listener, before I sign off, stop me if this sounds familiar. Your email marketing is stuck. You feel like you could be doing email better. You're not generating enough email revenue, and you feel like you're leaving money on the table but you don't have the time to figure email out yourself or or do it on your own because you have a business to run. Imagine this. Imagine not having to worry about leaving money on the table with your email marketing. Imagine not having to figure out what to send, when to send it, how many emails should look, what automation you need, what segments you need, how often you should be contacting your email list or just worrying about sending the next email. You don't have to worry about any of that. Imagine having peace of mind knowing that your email marketing is generating sales in good hands. At Wavebreak, we help Shopify stores maximize their email marketing revenue. That's it. We don't do anything else. And we've created a system called the Wavebreak method that, number one, makes you less dependent on Facebook or other marketing channels. Let's say something bad happens. Facebook says, see you later, Shopify store, and they just completely kill your ad traffic overnight. You don't have to worry. You don't have to stress because you're good to go because you have a cushion of email revenue. You don't have to worry about how or what what your wife is going to do or if you're going to be able to make rent or if you're going to be able to pay people because you have this cushion of email revenue to rely on. Number two, the second thing this does is huge and it's how stores scale from seven figures to eight figures to nine figures. And the secret is repeat purchases. The Wavebreak method gets rid of one-time buyers and increases repeat orders. Number three, it keeps your email list engaged. You don't have to worry about Black Friday and beyond. We'll figure out the ideal amount of times that your list needs to be contacted to maximize revenue, and then we'll execute it for you. If you want to learn more about this system and how we can work together to apply it to your business, go to wavebreak.co to schedule a call with me. And I'll personally send you my calendar link and we can chat one-on-one. Now, I don't have unlimited time to do these calls. I can only do a couple of them per week. So if you want to get your call, uh, go sign up at wavebreak.co for it as soon as possible. And we can talk about how we can work together. Thanks for listening to this episode. Subscribe to the show on iTunes to get notified of new episodes as soon as they drop. 